Welcome to Married by Design. In the midst of all that you've been facing, the challenges that you're looking at, even in the future, we wanted to encourage you to stay the course and not lose heart. That's what we're looking at on this episode of Married by Design. The purpose of the Married by Design podcast is to encourage couples to enjoy all that God has for them in their marriage relationship. Welcome back to our podcast. We've been in between series and we'll be soon starting a new series on spiritual depression. But in the meantime, we wanted to present a number of issues to encourage you in your faith and your marriage. Last week, we began sharing with you a sermon that I had a chance to preach recently at our home church. It relates to not losing heart. In our counseling and general contact with people, It seems that we've all been facing the challenges in the world today and have had a tendency of losing heart. I wanted to address that, and we began looking at Paul's encouragement to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 3. So again, for the second half of the sermon, we want to encourage you to take some time to listen to the sermon, open up your Bibles to Ephesians 3, and find some encouragement to stay strong and not lose heart. Well, let's look at some of the things that Paul mentions that he prays for. So that they would not lose heart. In verse 16, he prays that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul understood the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. In times of difficulty, in places where we could get discouraged, we want to live for Christ and be a light, but we feel so weak, so beaten down, so tired. We need the work of God's Spirit in our lives. Power, the resurrection power. Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 8. Paul points out the victory bound up in the work of the Spirit. He says in verse 10, If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit that dwells within you. When you're in that place where you feel like your heart is lethargic and dead and hard. This Holy Spirit comes in and empowers and rejuvenates and enlivens. It's interesting the times in the book of Acts where the believers gathered for prayer, which is what Paul had was doing for the Ephesians, and how the Holy Spirit empowered. Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, now wait, because you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, the believers came together and were given power. They were filled with God's Spirit to do that which they could not do on their own, speak in other languages. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were released from prison. And it says they lifted up their voices to God. In verse 29, now... Lord, they prayed, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Verse 31 says that when they prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken and they were filled 
with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. You see, I prayed and waited on God and God did this amazing thing. He filled them with his spirit and empowered them. That controlling of the spirit to give the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, the self-control that we need to keep from losing heart, to pull us out of the doldrums, to discouragement. It takes a supernatural act of God's spirit when we feel weak and down, when we're unmotivated, when we're apathetic, when we're distracted, when we feel like a failure. We need to look to God in prayer and wait for our hearts to be shaken. That God would give us that supernatural joy and love and peace. To be controlled by his spirit, Paul talks about that in chapter 5 of Ephesians. He says, don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. He is encouraging the Ephesians not to be involved in dissipation. You know what dissipation is? It's using energy for no profitable purpose. It's like when you put your car on idle in the driveway and you just let the gas burn. It's like, well, all that energy, but what, <laughs> what is it doing? To not allow them to be controlled by something like wine instead of the Spirit of God. You know what else is dissipation? Being angry with God about the situation you're in. Being discontent. Being resentful toward God. Grumbling and complaining. This is, I think, Paul's point going back to chapter 3. The work of the Holy Spirit gives us the encouragement and power in the midst of all that we go through despite the circumstances, despite the things that we face. That's why we need to be praying to be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner beings. Well, then he goes on. The second thing Paul talks about is that they would be strengthened with power through his spirit in their inner beings so that the result is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What dwells in your heart right now? Turmoil of the world? The burdens of a broken relationship? Failures of the past? Fears of the future? Some secret sin? If that is what dwells in your heart, you will quickly lose heart. If Christ is going to dwell in our hearts through faith, it takes the power of God's spirit to allow that. For Christ to be at home in our, in our hearts. To believe that he can accomplish that. For him to have the center place in our thoughts and our life. When we have Christ in the center of our heart, when our attention is set on him, then... There could be no greater encouragement and joy even in the midst of what you're facing. I love going back to Psalm 27. 
This is probably one of my favorite psalms. Here's David, the song of David. He's being persecuted. He's being chased around by Saul. In the midst of difficulty, he expressed his devotion to the Lord that was always in the center of his heart. Look in Psalm 27. He says, how shall I fear? The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Then he says, when evildoers assail me to eat me up, my, up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Yet he found a confidence in the God that he loved. He says, one thing I have asked, and this is what I seek. And notice he doesn't say to, to have deliverance. He doesn't say, God, the one thing I want is for you to take care of Saul right now. One thing I have asked, this is what I seek. May I dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. God, when that's your heart, it lifts you above. How's your relationship with the Lord? It was over a year and a half ago. I was at work and I was leaving one day and the secretary at the front desk said, what are you doing this weekend? And I said, oh, I'm going to the coast with my girlfriend. She kind of looked at me sideways because she knew I was married. She's a Christian, so I could see the smoke coming out of her ears. Her eyes bulged. She started into it. And after a little bit, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm referring to my wife. My wife is my girlfriend. Because I'm still pursuing her. I'm still courting her. That courting, that seeking, that loving, that cherishing doesn't stop as soon as a relationship is sealed. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you still pursuing the Lord? Have the trials and the burdens and the failures and the things that you're going through brought you to a place where you're not really seeking Him? We have to be careful that our greatest desire, our greatest hope, our greatest want is not just deliverance from whatever it is we're facing. A stored relationship resolution our greatest desire should be for Christ right Psalm 131 the psalmist there says oh Lord my heart is not lifted up my eyes are not raised up I do not occupy my myself with things too great too marvelous for me I always think about that because you're in the midst of a difficult situation and you're trying to figure it out what do I need to do to get out of this? How do I need to fix this? And it's harder to be in a place where you say, you know what, uh, this is too marvelous for me. This is too big for me. I, 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 don't, I don't get it. That's what happens when you finally get to the place. My soul. That's what happens when you finally get to the place where you say, this is, this is too big for me.
He says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. A weaned child is not demanding to be nursed, is not demanding anything. A weaned child just wants, just wants to be held. Not expecting. So I've gotten in this habit in the mornings. Janet goes off to work. I work at home. That's a strange switch. but So I'm there at home and I get my blanket on the couch. And We've got two dogs. I've got one little dog, Chloe, a little black thing. I don't know what she is. but So I sit down on the couch and I get my blanket. Chloe jumps up and she's got to be right up next to me. Right? And I cover her up. And then I think she wants me to put my hand on her. And then I think to myself, that's why I'm sitting down too, because I want that with the Lord. I want to be in a place where I'm right up next to Him. I'm not asking. I want Him to put His hand on me. Nigel said, read this yesterday, Paul's heart, his love for God, whatever things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered it up and then in his joy goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. There's no love that compares. There's no thing that satisfies. Again, he said the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in it search of fine pearls who in finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. This jewel, this prize, this treasure, this pearl, Jesus Christ, Son of God, the glorious one, when you have him in your heart, when he is the center, it it has a tendency of flooding out all the discouragement with the struggles. I'm not saying you don't face them. I'm not saying that it's perfect. But when he's in the rightful place, he puts his hand on you and things are better. Well, let's go on. Note the next thing that Paul says as he prays for encouragement and for them not to lose heart. He writes in verse 18 that his prayer is that they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It is out of our intimate relationship with Jesus Christ that we can fully comprehend and experience God's love for us. I 
think it's a lot harder to lose heart and be discouraged if we have an understanding of God's incredible love for us. How the fact that God loves you so completely, so wonderfully, so perfectly. It's what all of scripture talks about. Psalm 23, David talks about the, the shepherd. As I read Psalm 27. 1 John 3, 1-3. See what kind of love the Father has given us we should be called children of God and that is what we are a bold declaration and assurance John gave to persecuting Christians that they were to keep in mind and be enveloped and covered in this understanding of God's incredible overarching enveloping love Romans 5 8 God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we're sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8, this love that we can never be separated from. If you were going through difficulty, if you were floating on the windsurfer, You are loved, you are not forsaken, you are not abandoned, you are not neglected, you are not being ignored, you are not being punished. Don't allow your circumstances to define God's love for you. We need to be immersed in an understanding of the compassionate care that God has for us. I don't understand why the circumstances that we each go through, the trials that we face, but I know that in the midst of those things that God is there, just like he was there for Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo, that they were willing to face the fire, that they were willing to go through. They didn't escape the furnace, but he was there in the midst of the furnace. And when we understand that, there can be a delight in our hearts despite those things. A couple weekends ago, we were down with our grandkids and we spent a whole day. We've got three grandkids. Our oldest, Henry, is five. I know, I don't look that old, so. And, oh man, we loved it as grandparents. Spent the day. Pl- we we did talk to their parents a little bit, but it was pretty much all day <laughs> with the grandkids. Love telling we love them and playing with them and spending time with them. And so they were getting ready for bed, had their jammies on. I've told this to everybody that I talked to, so if you've heard it already, Henry, five year old, was just about to go to bed. He turned around and he said. You know, I always get to be your grandson. And I think that reflects not as much us and our love for him as his heart. To see and understand that delight that he took in the love that we had for him that we should have as believers. Let me go on for time. 
The last thing Paul talks about in the second half of verse 19 is that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. What a beautiful picture if we really understand all that that means. Going back to chapter 1, verse 22, when he refers to the church, he says, as the fullness of him who fills all in all. In chapter 2, verse 21, he says, in whom the whole structure, the church being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I think that took me then back to the Old Testament and God's filling of the temple there back in Second Chronicles chapter 5. The temple was the dwelling place of God. It was a place where people went to see him and worship. The temple itself was stone and mortar. And the importance wasn't the building itself, but what filled the building. When God was really there and... In that passage, verse 13 talks about them bringing the ark into the temple. And it says, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. Verse 14, so the priest could not stand to minister because the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house. And then you turn over to Second Chronicles 7. The dedication of the temple after Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed a burnt offering and sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the temple filled the temple. When all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord in the temple, they bowed down their face to the ground on pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord. Now the response of the people was not to the temple, the stones and the mortar, that was fairly relatively irrelevant. It was to God filling his temple, of the people seeing God's greatness and God's glory. Now, if you look in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where's the temple today? Let me know. We are the temple. That's why in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about the idea of being filled with God's spirit. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So when Paul writes and he says, you may be filled with all the fullness of God, what a wonderful picture it is to realize that for us as Christians that we can understand that we are not filled with ourselves, we're not filled with our own desires, we're not looking at the stone and mortar that is us and our failures and the things that we look at, but we understand the important thing is not those things, but it's the person who fills us. Yesterday, Brandon came up to me and he said, man, you're growing a beard, you look really old now. I said, oh, thanks. He looks at the stone and mortar. If you look at me or anybody else and you see what we're able to do, don't look at the stone and mortar, what we are. My failures, my struggles, the things that I face. We need to pray as Solomon did that we would be filled up with all the fullness of God. You see how encouraging that is in the midst of all that you're going through when you see your own brokenness and 
This life is ultimately not about our circumstances and what happens to us and what we can do. It's about putting God on display as he was on display in that temple. Of him filling every part of our lives, every hidden area, so that we can be a manifestation of God's glory. That's what this world needs today. They need to see God. Well, as he closed the end of that passage, Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. That's an encouragement for us when we see our own weakness. When we think, is he able to strengthen me? Is God able to fill me with his spirit? Is God able to help me to love him more with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength? If I'm in a place where I don't feel like God loves me, is he able to help me to comprehend the height and the depth of his love for me? God is a powerful God. I love what David did. We be in a place where we look at our discouragement, the things that we're doing, the things that we're facing. We think this is a situation I'm always going to be in. There's going to be no change. There's no hope. I think about David before Goliath. It was the whole Israel army that had their hands in their pockets thinking, this is it. And here's this, what, 16-year-old boy? It says, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or think, and I'm willing to step out and believe and trust God that he can change my heart, that he can empower me, that he can help me to be what I'm not right now. I was reading through Isaiah, and Isaiah 50 verse 10 says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has, has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. I love that. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Oh, let me pray. Father, we just come to you, God. And God, for maybe some here or there walking in darkness, there's no light, God. And yet you are still there. Father, you lift up the brokenhearted. You save those who are crushed in spirit. God, we thank you for Paul's instruction, his words. God, I pray as believers that we would not lose heart. We'd see all that you are and all that you offer and all the ways that you work, Father, and that you would work in us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.